Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like Sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Mets fans, welcome to episode 308 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian, thank you for joining us this week. First up, Chris McShane and I discussed the most recent bullpen edition and where the Mets may go from here. Enjoy. Well, Chris, uh, just mere hours after you recorded last week's podcast, the Mets made another free agent signing. They signed left-handed relief pitcher Justin Wilson to a two-year uh, is it $10 million contract? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, obviously, we uh, were in favor of the Mets signing good players. We're in favor of the Mets extending their bullpen. What do you think about this move, uh, you know, in terms of both the the player the Mets chose to spend money on and also in terms of the uh, sort of the impact that you think Wilson will make on the on the bullpen going forward? Overall, I like it. Uh, you know, I feel like we're <laughs> kind of falling right into the pattern of the offseason. I, I haven't really disliked anything that they've done uh, on an individual move basis. 
you know, some of the trades they made for more marginal major league players, I think uh, we can maybe call into question. But with this, it falls into, you know, you're acquiring a guy who's clearly a major league player. Uh, and in, in the cases they've done that, uh, I think I've liked every move. So, you know, Wilson is a guy... Um, for me, the profile feels like a little bit of a throwback. You know, I, <laughs> uh, a high strikeout reliever and, oh yeah, he's got a, he's got a walk problem, you know? Um, yeah. I feel like we've all been down that road, but he's found a way to make it work. Uh, and, and he hasn't always had the walk issue. You know, his career walk rate isn't great. Um, but it's not awful like it's been the last two years. And, right. you know, when it's gotten to be awful, it's also coincided with his strikeout rate being, uh, you know, really, really high. Uh, not Craig Kimbrell or, for a more topical reference now, Edwin Diaz high. <laughs> um, you know, but good, like a legitimately uh, strong strikeout rate. So, you know, you, you look at it all and, He's a lefty. Um, you know, he's he's got enough stuff working for him. His career numbers are, are good. You know, he's like any reliever. There's a couple seasons in there that the ERA is a little high, you know, higher than you'd like to see. But, yeah, overall, in isolation, I like it. And, you know, it, it certainly lengthens the bullpen. Um, it's not perfect, <laughs> you know, uh, but it, it's, it's in a better place than it was, uh, without him there. You know, it, it, it gives you at least some hope that you're only dealing with one or two spots that might be kind of in flux instead of, you know, two or three and in a major, in, in a bullpen that has to pitch as much as bullpens pitch these days, that's you know, somewhat comforting, I guess. <laughs> sure. That's there's a there's sure, a tagline for the that. move. Some somewhat yeah. <laughs> comforting, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't have any major problems with this signing. I I think that this is a nice move in that I think a lot of the stuff that Brody has done has seemed flashier than you'd expect from the Mets. And this feels like a more traditional Mets signing. It's it's not a guy who's one of the top three or four in his bracket, but it's a solid signing. It's for a reasonable sum of money. And, you know, it's not going to break the bank, nor should it really influence their ability to sign another player of a similar caliber if they choose to do that. It seems like, uh, you know, it seems like they are looking to, to remake the bullpen in a way, but really they're not they're not doing a top to bottom rebuild of the bullpen, you know, especially with bringing back Familia. You figure the only real guaranteed new piece is Diaz, which is a big piece, don't get me wrong. But you know, I know they've signed some minor leaguers, but for the most part it just seems like they're sort of tuning up the bullpen they got last year. You know, I, I think that you have every right to believe that Wilson will be as good, if not better than say Jerry Blevins was right. for the Mets in 2018, but he's certainly not going to be maybe what 
and I know it's a, it's a different type of player, but he's not going to be Adam Adovino, right? Um, oh yeah, and that is that is what's frustrating here. I believe Adovino is making nine million a year, yeah, and Wilson's making five million a year. And you just wish the Mets would pony up a little bit of extra money for the clearly superior player. Yeah, I will say uh, if Sandy Alderson made this signing, and I like him, and you know, uh-huh. I think we're all happy for him that he got another job in baseball, going back to the A's, and absolutely happier, obviously that you know he he had said that he had been cancer free for four months on Saturday uh, at the Writers Association dinner, you know. Uh-huh. But all of those things aside, if Sandy Alderson signed Justin Wilson to this contract, he would have a strikeout and walk rate that were identical, like a 6.5 ERA, and be hurt by the middle of June. Because <laughs> yeah. that, that was yeah. just the luck he, he had. And, you know, I mean, there were a couple guys he brought in that were not good, like obviously not good. But he signed a few guys who kind of fit exactly. It was the way you just described him that made me think of, like, oh, that's like an Alderson bullpen signing. Well, exactly, yes. This is a traditional Mets bullpen signing in a way. Um, so so let's talk about the bullpen construction as of right now. So obviously the back end of the bullpen is is pretty much set with Diaz and Familia. I would suspect that unless he absolutely melts down in the spring, you're expecting to see Seth Lugo back in the bullpen. Yeah, you got Wilson now. Do you think Louis Av- uh, Avion Avalon? I'm gonna pronounce I, that wrong. Yeah, I think Avalon. Avalon. Okay. Do you think he makes the bullpen? Yeah, if only because there's that track record, right. you know, that's pretty solid. And it, <laughs> I know it's more complex than this, um, but if you're him, and, and I, we can look at what he would make. Uh, you know, if he's on the major league roster and I know he's coming like shorter stints than Wilson, but if you're him, you're looking, you're going like hmm. last three years, I had a strikeout rate over 10 per nine. My walk rate was better than his, you know, yeah. my, <laughs> my ERAs were comparable or better. Uh, and I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to make the team. Yeah. And, you know, I know it's not that simple. But, you know, these are they're both left-handed pitchers. They both average less than an inning per outing. Um, you know, it's not going to be the craziest thing in the world if Avalon has a better season than Wilson. Right. And uh, I, I'm trying to compliment them both here. Like, you know, that they can both be solid. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Um, but as a guy who has that major league track record who you got to come in uh, on that kind of a – you know, contract that kind of a situation. I think you want to hold on to him if you can. You know, if he's terrible in April, then you can, you know, kind of revisit that. But I would think he has a slot to lose going into spring training. Okay, so we got Familia Diaz, Avalon, and um, Wilson, Lugo, and Gazelman. They have a seven-man bullpen, you think? Well, so, I mean, that's sort of like the – I feel like there's not a lot of drama that's going to play on in spring training this year. Right. But the back and forth over seven or eight, I guess, might turn into somewhat of a story. Right. But that's, so that's six right there. So who else do yeah. you think is a lock? 
Well, they got to keep Kyle Dowdy up if they want to hold on to him because he's a Rule 5 guy. Right, okay, Kyle Dowdy. So that's so, Right. And maybe they won't. Maybe they'll go into spring training, not like what they see from him and and give him back the concept. Right. A concept that I don't know if anybody's embracing actually try to win games in the first two weeks of the season <laughs> um, or prioritize it. Not, you know, not to the point that they put Alonzo up, but. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, if it's seven guys, then I would guess. Those would be the seven. If it's eight, do you have a guy you'd like to see? Um, if only because they already have two lefties, and if they make no other moves, and we'll we'll get to that. Uh, but you know, I know Zamora made a good impression. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'd probably say Drew Smith. Who also, you know, I mean, we're talking about very limited amounts of information, but if they're going with eight and it's somebody who's in-house already at the time of this recording, uh, I look forward to the Mets signing another reliever tomorrow. Yep. <laughs> um, but, you know, Smith, it's it's tough. You know, he the results were pretty good. He wasn't striking anybody out. Uh but he came up and, you know, he managed to hold his own. Uh, so I guess that would be my guy. If you wanted to say Zamora or you want to give Paul Seawald another chance or Bachelor or what, you know, yeah, anybody else, fine. They're sort of interchangeable to me, all of them. I think Bachelor is probably the guy I liked stuff-wise the most, and I'm – I've said this a hundred times in the podcast. I'm no scout, so this is just you know what my what my very very stupid eyes have told me. I, I think I'd take a chance on Bachelor, but we'll talk in a minute about why I'm going to say this next thing. But ideally, actually, my last man out of the bullpen is Jason Vargas. Okay, yeah, uh, but you know, I would see him ideally as a long reliever, swingman type guy. Because I don't know if you need three one-inning lefties out of your bullpen. Um, right. But, you know, I think Vargas has a role there if they could sign another starter, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, do you think that this bullpen, as currently constructed, is more or less good enough? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I still have some reservations about it, but... Um... You know, it's still top-heavy. Yep. And there's still uncertainty. But I think you could at least say, let's just say they go with a seven-man bullpen. I think you can be pretty confident that they're going to get good pitching from four guys, whether the fourth is, you know, Gazelman or Lugo, whether the third is Wilson or maybe Avalon. Um, you know, it's it's not that hard to see the majority of a seven-man bullpen being good at what they do. Right. So in that sense, you know, where I, I have to look. It, it's, I mean, over the years, it's just been pathetic um, <laughs> where, where the bullpen is finished, you know. So last year, they were the third worst bullpen in baseball. Uh, 
let's just see 2017. I won't go all the way back, but I, <laughs> you know, yeah, just to kind of paint. Oh, and second worst the year before <laughs> that. So I think they have the foundation uh, of a bullpen that can at least be, you know, middle of the pack. I don't think they're going to jump out there and be a top five, top ten bullpen in baseball, but. You know, Diaz is so good. Familia is really good. Uh, and then these other guys are solid. You know, I think it's it's enough that they can be somewhere in the 11 to 20 range. And that's fine. Uh, like, yeah, you can get by with that. Yeah. Yeah. I think with the improvements they've made offensively and hopefully with a good season of starting pitching, you can put up with the... 13th best bullpen in baseball. Yeah, 13 would be good. That would be I I would sign up for that. It's been it's been such a sore spot. I really wonder if, you know, we had in our lost conversation with Eno, we talked about um Lugo's elbow and the sort of inherent risk that comes from throwing Lugo out there for a lot of innings. But if Lugo has a good year, I, I'm i a believer in that curveball out of the bullpen. Yeah. And I think he could be the third, maybe even second best reliever on the team if, if things go his way. Um, and if, if, if he takes a big step forward or if Gazelman looks as good as he did in April of last year, I, I mean, then you've really got something out of that bullpen. But I don't expect either of those things to necessarily happen. But like you said, to me, without even squinting too hard, you have half of a solid bullpen. So you hope that you catch lightning in a bottle, whether it's with, you know, like you said, a Rule 5 guy, a minor league contract guy. When you can get value out of those types of acquisitions, that is such a positive thing for your team. And on top of that, you know, the price for rental players has been so low the last few seasons around the trade deadline that if the Mets are in it, you know, come July and they're looking for another bullpen piece, they could probably get somebody without breaking the bank too badly for them. So Yeah, I, I hope so. I would hope so too, you know. Um, knowing the Mets, they will somehow greatly overpay for somebody who won't work out. But, you know, that's all right. <laughs> Well, that that means the Mets are, are thinking about the playoffs in July, and I'm happy with that. Um, but yeah, uh, any other bullpen thoughts? With the internal guys, no, not at the moment. Okay. Well, um, we were talking earlier today about what we we're going to do on the show tonight, and I proposed that we each come up with uh, a sort of last big move for the Mets. And by big move we're going to have two sort of takes on what a big move is for this team. Uh, Chris and I have each selected a contract that we don't think the Mets will actually shell out, but we think they should. And then we've each done a sort of more realistic signing as well. So Chris, why don't you go first with your, uh, your pie in the sky guy. You want (laughs) want the Mets to sign. Sure. Yeah. Uh, It's Harper, you know, and I think Manny Machado is the better overall player, but the way the roster is shaped up, um, 
that's that's where I would go with it. So if the Wilpons wanted to shock the baseball world and and all of their fans and get people fully excited for the season, uh, you know, that I think is where I would go with it. You know, when you make a long-term decision like that, you don't want to think too much about who you have on your roster right now. Um, but, you know, it, it's easier to see an infield working out really well for the team and harder to see an outfield working out really well for the team. Right. Um, so I'm letting the near-term cloud my my judgment and my opinion on those two players for their overall, you know, careers. But yes, that is, that is my dream signing. Uh, did I steal yours no. or was yours? No, I knew you okay. were, I thought you were probably going to do that one. So I, I backed away from it, <laughs> but I, I do have a question for you about that. Um, do you think that in this hypothetical scenario, are the Mets signing him to that 10 year, $300 million deal or because he's still out there, as of you know February first, is it more of a you know three year deal with a bunch of player options or a a six year deal with an opt out? You know how would how would you want to construct that if you were if you were Brody Van Wagenen? Um. Well, I guess you, I mean it's hard <laughs> when. Coming from my perspective, it would be, you know, I want this guy to be on the team long term. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd probably lean for the longer side of things. But if you really were just looking to shock the baseball world and go all in on this season, you know, a one-year deal or a two-year deal tops where he, he comes out of it and he's 27 or 28 and hits the market again, um, you know, That'd be fine with me if you, if you, if you're talking about, you know, paying him a lot of money for a year or two, and he's willing to do that, uh, because he thinks that you know after the or, or yeah, you said three years, time it for the three seasons before there's a player strike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. So. I'd be fine with anything that puts Bryce Harper on the field this season when we're going into it with Ligaris and Broxton and, you know, J.D. Davis, McNeil. And we'll get to that a little bit more in a minute. But, you know, uh, anything that gets him on the team works for me. So... I, I wouldn't have any strong preference. I'd accept, hey, you want to play here for a year, make a lot of money, and then go do all this again? Fine. Come on. Yeah. Um, both of us made the probably impossible calculation of signing a uh, a Boris guy yeah. for a move because we know that Boris is not a fan of Van Wagen and being a GM. Um but my move is uh, inspired by our podcast pal Allison is Dallas Keuchel. And uh, I am not the biggest fan of his in terms of I don't think he's a perfect pitcher by any means. You know, he's um, I'm going to use Chris's favorite phrase here. He's on the wrong side of 30. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. No, but he, he, he's 31. You know, he's left handed. He's um, 
So he's just getting started. Yeah, for a for a lefty, he's just getting started. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, the the last uh, five seasons, he's only had one year where his ERA was over four. Uh, last season, his ERA was uh, three seven four. You know, he um, he struck out one hundred and fifty three in two hundred and four innings. So that that's not you know an elite strikeout rate by any means, but you know he um, he keeps the ball in the park. He does not have an incredibly high walk rate, and he's he's a good defensive pitcher. Uh, you know, he he seems to me like like the type of guy that the Mets could probably afford if they were a normal functioning baseball team. Um, <laughs> but I'll I'll throw this out there too. He's at a place now where it's late in the season. It's late in the offseason, rather. He wants a job. I think you could probably get this guy for a bargain compared to what you would have gotten for him if you signed him in uh, October or November. You know, um, I want to say, what is sport? Uh, what do they have here? Uh, sport Spotrack had his market value listed at $22 million. I think you get him for... Maybe not quite half of that, but let's see what he made last year. Last year he made. Oh, why are you being a pain? Baseball reference. Ah. Uh, he made $13.2 million last year. So you figure you can sign him to a uh, one year, $15, $16 million deal or a two year you know, $30 million deal. And you put him behind, you know, I guess you'd probably put him in front of Wheeler in the rotation to split the lefties. But then you've got DeGrom, Syndergaard, Keuchel, Wheeler, Mats. That's a pretty, that's a pretty good rotation. And that would then bump Jason Vargas to the, uh, to the bullpen. And to me, you have, you have addressed some of the lack of starting pitching depth, if not completely eradicated it. I mean, you're never going to eradicate the need for more pitchers. You always need more pitchers. But Keiko has been reasonably healthy over the course of his career. And like I said, for the for the probable value you can get for him now, it seems to me like a pretty silly thing to not at least attempt if you can, if you can do it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, – I guess in this market, I won't be totally shocked if he signs a contract like the one that, you, you know, you suggested. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a weird spot. Does he hold out that he, you know, he wants more years or more money, um, you know, for each year if he goes short with it? Uh, who knows? You know, there's – when all teams are – being very hesitant with free agents, you know, it's it's kind of it, it's tough for an individual player to hold out and and really demand that he gets what he's worth, you know. Yeah. Especially p- pitchers, I feel like position players can kind of do stuff on their own that is similar to what you'd be doing in spring training anyway. You know, if you're getting in there on the second week of spring training games as a hitter, I really don't think that's going to cost you much. Right. 
in terms of what you do in the season. But, you know, pitchers just being around uh, a team and going through everything that you do and all that, that's, it just seems more difficult. So, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe he does end up doing something like that. And, I mean, I love the idea of getting Vargas out of the rotation, at least until either Wheeler or Mats or somebody else has some time on the DL. Right. I mean, to me, just – and we've talked about this last season a little bit, but it's incredible the amount of free agents that are still out there right now. And not only the amount of free agents, but, you know, the amount of Class A free agents. too. And I don't mean that in the old uh, baseball terminology. <laughs> I just mean, like, you know, guys who really shouldn't have a hard time finding a job in baseball. And, yeah, you know, um, I would think that the Mets, a team that is financially challenged, would be looking at this as an opportunity to bolster their roster for a fraction of what it probably should be costing them. Throw on top of that, Cespedes is making $29 million this year, and they're going to get back roughly half of that in insurance. Half of twenty nine is fourteen, fifteen million dollars. So go out there and spend that money. It would be nice if they thought that way. Yeah. But yeah, no, they, I mean there's an opportunity here. You know, something that came up uh when Eno was on last week. Just the concept of trying to win games. You know, like <laughs> if you're just if you just say, Hey, that's what we're actually gonna do, you can exploit the situation that's going on throughout the league right now. Yeah. You know, it's there's, there's one division where there are multiple teams that are spending money to really, really try to go for it, you know, and I'm not downplaying um, the, the NL central teams, but like the Yankees and Red Sox are the only teams <laughs> That you can look and go, oh yeah, they're in the same division, and they're both. Uh, I, I think the Yankees should be doing more than they're doing right now too. But you know, they're they've they've done a lot to try to win. I think both of those teams actually want to win the American League East this year. Yeah, you know, and I'm I'm sure every team could spin the. You know, hey, oh yeah, of course we'd love to win everything, even though we're not trying to, mm-hmm. but. But yeah, no, it, it's it's a weird spot to be in uh, as a fan to you know to look at all this this way and you know it, it's I don't think it's just that we've you know matured as fans. I think it is legitimately the way the game has changed. You know. Well, yeah, and uh, it's weird to see all these other teams doing what the Mets have been doing for the last few years, and yet they don't have to. That's right. the really crazy part. I understand why the Mets don't go out and, and sign Harper, because they can't afford it because the Wilpons lost so much of their fortune in the Madoff thing. There's no, But 29 other teams don't have that excuse, and no one's signing Harper yet. Um, do you think there's any chance that teams go to pitchers and catchers without Harper or Machado signing? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. 
That's so crazy to me. I know, I know it's possible, but it's crazy. (laughs) I mean, unless the Padres just jump in and go, all right, none of you really, nobody, nobody here. Okay. We'll do it. You know, unless that's what happens. And at that point, screw it. I want them to sign them both, you know? Yeah. Like take that team that's got all these prospects coming up and, and put two of the best 10 players, I, I think, uh, position players in the game into a, a lineup. And, man, that's your 3-4, your 2-3, however you want to think about lineup construction. You know, you've got <laughs> – you'd have a formidable force and, you know – bring these young guys that the Padres have into situations that are good, uh, you know, less and less pressure. Not that there's like a ton of pressure playing in San Diego, but you know what I mean? No. I mean, think about Will Myers. If he was a Mets prospect, he'd be considered the biggest bust of all time. And, and yet <laughs> yeah. he's, he's doing all right for himself in San Diego. So the pressure yeah. of San Diego is very different. Um, yeah. I, I think a lot of times the, um, you know, the New York sports media can build up the, oh, everything's so much harder in New York kind of thing. But the, I will grant that there is a difference between, you know, a Padres team that's going to win 70 games and a, a, a team in New York that's expected to contend. Yes. Whether or not the Mets are that right now, I don't know. But, yeah, I, I, will, I will grant that. Um, so, yeah. But so who is, in terms of the, who was your bargain the re- pick? The realistic guys, yeah. yeah. Um, so I guess I wave around a little bit because I, I, you know, starting pitching is more of an area of concern for me. But if I'm going to just say, you know what, this, you know, everybody's healthy. Uh, I like Adam Warren. You know, he's he's been a solid reliever. It's uh, he's averaged more than an inning per outing. It's been a while since he's been, you know, mixing it up. He's been exclusively a uh, a reliever for several years now. Um, but you know, this is a guy who every season except one of his full seasons in the majors, uh, you know, he's been in the high twos, you know, two, three, five, one year, but. You know, generally between, you know, 2.9 and 3.5 with his ERA. Uh, solid. It's not going to strike the world out, but his walk rate's pretty good. You know, he's only 31. Uh, doesn't turn 32 until August. So he's of interest to me. And that would shore up the bullpen even more where, you know, the discussion we had about, uh, you know, pick a name out of a hat. That would be eliminated if everybody's healthy, and it would even put Kyle Dowdy on the bubble. But you know what? You know that that's that's okay. A Rule Five pick shouldn't necessarily just be guaranteed a spot, uh, unless it's somebody who has an insane amount of talent who, you know, you'd be crazy to ever let go. Right. So yeah, that's. That that would make me feel even more comfortable with the bullpen. Uh, you know, he's the kind of guy who could go out and have a season similar to what you said with Lugo. You know, hey, maybe he ends up being the second or third best reliever on the uh, on the roster. It, 
that wouldn't be outlandish with Warren. So, yeah, that that's my guy. Maybe they'll sign him by the time we uh, publish this. Yeah. Um, I am sticking with starting pitching, and I'm specifically sticking with left-handed starting pitching. And All right. So I'm going with Gio Gonzalez. Uh, again, a guy I think you could get on a very short-term, very affordable deal. Um, you know, he's 33, but he's never had a disaster year in all of his years pitching. Um, he has not thrown less than 170 innings since 2014. He has, uh, he, again, he does a nice job keeping the ball in the ballpark. His strikeout rate and walk rate are not elite, but they are respectable. And, uh, you know, I prefer what he gives you to what Vargas gives you in the rotation. Uh, this is a move at the Mets. They probably have to sign him to a major league deal. He's probably not going to get by in a minor league deal with an invite to spring training. But what do you realistically think Gonzalez is going to get next year? Yeah, at this point, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a ton. Uh, you know, teams will point to his age and, you know, that he had two out of his last three seasons were just okay, you know. Right. Uh, he had a nice one in the middle. He did. Uh, you he know, he's nice not one in the middle. that far removed from that. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't even know how to predict the contracts. No, you know, neither do I. At this point, I, I was gonna say, you know, maybe six or seven million dollars. Mm-hmm. That sounds high, even possibly. Based, it could be, yeah. You know, I don't know. And I, you know, even if you're getting a guy with a with a mid to high threes ERA, who's going to throw a hundred and you know, sixty five innings for you, with a you know for six seven million dollars, that, that's a that's a steal. So that that would be my guy. I, I think the Mets could get him on a, on a cheap, short term deal, and again add that elusive starting pitching depth. And it would be fun just to hear Gary, Keith, and Ron talk about him all season. Yes. <laughs> and uh, it's never a bad thing to get a Met killer on your team. And he seemed yeah. like he was a guy who just tormented the Mets more than he should have over the past uh, you know, seven seasons or so. Yeah. Yeah, no, and it, it's... I know some of the perception probably comes from that specifically. Um, but I feel like this is a guy who for the entire time he was with the nationals through, you know, uh, the recent couple of seasons, I feel like this was a guy who we would talk about and treat like he had borderline ace qualities yep. you know not, not like he was Scherzer or Strasburg but like oh man Gio Gonzalez oh this is gonna be a tough game you know like that that yeah. sort of mindset and now I feel like everybody you know is just like oh he sucks now I don't think he's quite fallen completely off a cliff to that extent you know I think our perception may have been better than he actually was right but but at the same time you know serviceable back end of the rotation kind of guy yeah he absolutely could still be that. And I would, 
I, I would definitely bet that he will have a better 2019 than Jason Vargas. Yes, exactly. And that was sort of <laughs> the bar I was looking at is, you know, who's going to do better than Vargas without breaking the bank. So, yeah. Do it, Mets. Come on. And I think that there's there's every chance that Keiko would have a much better 2019 than Gonzalez would. But I think that you could get Gonzalez for so much cheaper that you that it wouldn't have to be your last move. You could still sign another bullpen arm while signing Gonzalez. Whereas if you sign Keiko, that probably does max out the Mets budget. Right. I mean, for all we know, it could be maxed out right now. But <laughs> it, it likely is. But you know, still. Right. Yeah, Keiko at sixteen million. Let's say. Yeah. I then I doubt they would pay anybody else anything. Right. So, but you know, if you could get Gonzalez for six or seven, I mean, how much would would Warren get in this market? I don't know. Um, Five, six million. That even that seems high. Yeah. Right. I, for whatever reason, I don't know. I feel like you'd get like three and a half. Maybe some incentives to get him up to five. If you can get those Gio Gonzalez and Warren for less than ten million, come on now. Yeah. Come on, Mets, do it. Come on, Brody. <laughs> we know you listen. Brody's a longtime fan. Uh, speaking of, of long, speaking of longtime fans, <laughs> we got a couple of emails from longtime listeners. We have a new email address: aaaudiopodcast at gmail dot com. Send us your emails. This one comes from David. He says, "Hey guys, well, I know it is very unlikely that the Mets sign Bryce Harper. Do you think there could possibly be interest between the Mets and Bryce on a short term deal with a player option? Say, for example, two years, seventy two million, with forty five in year one." and then a player option, uh, and then 27 in year two if he stays. This would allow Bryce to be the highest play position player in baseball next year and then re-enter free agency in a prob- in potentially a better market. It would also allow him one more opportunity to have the MVP season going into free agency. Even year two would still have Bryce likely among the top paid position players in the game. And then he's a free agent again at 27 or 28. Again, I know the Mets are very unlikely to do this, but I feel like the one-year deal they gave Cespedes could be a model for this. Any chance this happens? Let's go Mets, David. Uh, the one note I'll throw in here is that that Cespedes deal was not a one-year deal. It was a three-year deal with an opt-out. Um, not that that changes anything, but just, you know, I wanted to put that out there. Um, I mean, we're talking about the Mets not having the money to sign a 7 or $8 million starting pitcher. Let alone spending $45 million, let's say, on Bryce Harper for one year. I think realistically, there's almost no way a deal like this happens. Because at least if it's a long-term deal, you can backload it without without too much of a, of a concern. Uh, if you're trying to sign him on a short-term deal and you want to be the highest-played player in baseball next year, that's a. I don't know how the Mets square that circle in terms of finances. What do you think, Chris? Oh, yeah. Realistically, I agree. I mean, when we brought up the concept earlier 
in this episode. Uh, you know, I, I, <laughs> I support it. Oh, I support it too. Absolutely. I think, I think yeah. they should be willing to do it, but yeah, it would be absolutely shocking to see them do it. I like the idea. And I think the Cespedes thing, you know, the way that played out uh, from the time he was acquired in the trade through the two rounds of free agency. Uh, you know, I, I think that gives us all that little thought in the back of our minds that, oh, hey, maybe, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I I would love it. Uh, I'm with Brian on, on this. I, you know, I just don't think, I don't think it's something the Wilpons could stomach. You know, they'd have to pay a tiny bit of luxury tax probably. Uh, which they seem they don't even like to talk about staying under the luxury tax. They don't <laughs> want to be anywhere near it. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. The luxury tax is something they want to avoid, you know, in, by any means possible. So, um, all right. So we have an email from our friend Ryan who says, I am skeptical about McNeil to the outfield, having seen Lucas Duda and Daniel Murphy struggle there recently. Uh, check your timeline, Ryan. That wasn't that recently, but I know what you mean. Uh, but I wonder <laughs> if the Mets could be the first team to routinely have their outfielders switch positions between the bats. The infield shift has become commonplace in baseball. It's only a matter of time before a defensively talented left fielder and a struggling right fielder switch places when a dead pull lefty comes to the plate. The Mets could have Nimmo in center and switch McNeil and Conforto in the corners based on the analytics. And maybe would have to do something about this in the box score because it would look ridiculous in the end of a game. But to me, this would be harder for the opposition to counter than an infield shift, which leaves the opposite side of the infield wide open and susceptible to a bunt. If this were to work, you could even make it extreme. Say, for example, Joey Gallo comes up to the plate in a few years. Cano by this point slowed down at second base. McNeil is clearly better defensively. You can move Conforto from left to right, put McNeil in at second, and move Cano out to left. I personally hate the shift, Though what probably bothers me the most is the refusal to bunt. But it's clearly here, and the math backs it up. Wouldn't flipping corner outfielders be the next logical step? That's a pretty fun question. Yeah, and I think there's been a little bit of it, not to the extent that you commit to doing it all season, but I I feel like we've seen a little bit of toying with that, right? Mm -hmm. In major league games over the last two, three seasons, whatever it is, but... uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, however much somebody might be slowing down in this equation, you might have to account for how much running they're going to do in the game. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, you know, I think that's something where you, you have a certain segment of fans, and I'm not one of them, but who, you know, hate the shift and just kind of want guys to stay in their positions and just see what happens that way, you know? Mm-hmm. But uh, that, because of the amount of time it would take, that would potentially, you know, rile people up a little bit more. Uh, and especially since the game itself talks so much about pace of play, I feel like that would draw extra attention to it. It is remarkable that baseball right now is doing so well economically when it spends most of its season having its broadcasters complain about it and most of its off season with teams not trying to sign players to win games <laughs> and, de- and yet it's working. Yeah. I was going to say, and you know, debating 
banning the shift and other stupid ideas like that. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't think this is a bad idea. I, I do wonder how fast you can implement it. I think it would almost be easier to have... How can I put this? I guess... Let's say you put Nimmo in center, Conforto in right, and McNeil in left. It almost makes more sense if you're playing a dead pull hitter to just have the center fielder switch with the corner outfielder for for, yeah. for timing purposes. Like it's easier for the center fielder to go to left and the left fielder to right um, than it is to have the corner outfielder, uh, you know, run back and forth with the, to the other corner. But it probably doesn't help defensively to do that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think this is a really fun idea. Uh, I do think that outfield uh, defense is is in need of some sort of shifting, perhaps. Um, the difference, of course, is that Let's say you're in the shift and a left-handed batter pokes the ball to where the third baseman should be and it rolls to the outfield. There's an outfielder there to keep that to a single or worst case scenario, a double. Whereas if you have a uh, a more glaring hole down the line and a player smokes a ball there, you're looking at minimum two bases. So there's just, there's just a higher level of risk from leaving part of your outfield exposed, either by an ex, a more extreme shift or by just a bonehead playing out there who can't make the plays. I don't know. How do you feel about McGill in the outfield? Uh, I wanted to work. Um, skeptical is probably a good, you know, good description of it. Um, I, I don't think he's incapable. And for whatever reason, maybe I just haven't learned my lesson. <laughs> um, I expected to go better than Duda or Murphy or Todd Hundley. Who else have they done this to? Uh, Jose Jose Reyes in the outfield. Yeah, I I expect the overall package to be better uh, than any of those examples. Dom Smith. Yeah, yeah. Talk about, oh, man, you know, whatever is to come of his bat at the major league level, I, I will always feel bad for him that he's had to play the outfield. Yep. At the stage that they had him start doing it. But, um... But yeah, I don't know. Uh, I I want to say I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, you know, he he seems like he's athletic enough to do it. Uh, it seems like it's something that plenty of players have done. It, not like it happens every year on every team, but it seems like I think guys have done generally. You know, I mean, when you think about just the way the game is played and. You know, I know at the major league level it, it's different. You know, the ball is smoked. Like a routine out in baseball would drive 99% of the population nuts trying to figure out how to catch it, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but it, it seems like something a guy could do. Uh, especially somebody who's a middle infielder, uh, you know, maybe not the fastest guy on the team or anything, but you know, he, he's shown enough, uh, defensive athleticism. If that's a thing, it is, uh, that, you know, I, I think he's capable of doing it. I mean, if I, if I'm betting <laughs> it's the Mets, I'm saying it's going to be a brutal failure. Uh, but I don't know. Let, let's hope the hopefulness wins over and uh, or wins out in this one. I've I've been working on a piece that kind of hit a roadblock on because the Mets have announced that McNeil will be more or less an outfielder, which changes the way I was I was planning to 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 sort of put together this piece. But it was about finding the Mets playing time and and finding the Mets playing time specifically in situations that defensively help them. And I think that if you want McNeil to play the outfield two, three days a week, that's very capable. I mean, that's very possible, but I think you might want to take a look at who is starting for the Mets those days. Like, DeGrom is is pretty much the most extreme ground ball pitcher they have on their staff. So that's the guy you should put McNeil in left for a guy who's maybe not going to give up as many hits to left field. You know, Syndergaard's more of a fly ball pitcher. You probably don't want to put him in left field with behind Syndergaard initially. Um, so I think there are ways to do it. But because the infield is so crowded, and that's not including Peter Alonso, uh, I think it's going to be, I think if you're not putting McNeil in the outfield most days, he's not starting. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. I I I like the idea. I you know I'd rather see what the McNeil Conforto, um, Nimmo combo looks like for a month, than give serious playing time to Lagaris or Broxton. And you know I think at this point we really know what Lagaris is. Broxton, it, he's at least intriguing. Yeah. You know I I, I wish he had somewhat more of a proven track record coming into this uh you know the the type of player who can go out and steal some bases and hit some home runs you know that it's it's enticing but over the last two seasons he's been a bad hitter you know so and bad I'd is rather... probably underselling it yeah, yeah. I mean, despite hitting 20 home runs in 2017, he was still well below league average. Uh, last year, he didn't get that much playing time in the majors, hit four home runs and 89 plate appearances. That's not that bad, but again, still very low average, low OBP kind of guy. So I'd, I'd rather have that first shot go to the outfield that includes McNeil on an everyday basis and – even two weeks in, I think it'll be clear whether or not it's a complete bust right. defensively. Right. Um, and then he can take it from there. But I, I'd rather start out trying that and then switch over to Broxton or Ligaris if things really didn't go well. I mean, you would think that Broxton is Broxton and Ligaris are good enough defensive outfielders that they could even 
um, I guess the proper term isn't caddy, but essentially caddy with McNeil if if the Mets wanted to do that. If the Mets wanted to start the game with McNeil and in the fifth inning pull him every game and put in one of those guys. Let him protect the late, late lead with an elite outfield uh, with an elite outfielder out there, you know. I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see what the Mets do this year. For the first time in a long time, they may have too many good hitters. I'm kidding. There's no such thing as too many good hitters. <laughs> I'm just trying to pump up the team party line right now. Well, Chris, if 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 our podcast is is true to its form, the Mets will sign somebody in 12 hours, and uh, we'll be woefully behind talking about it next time. <laughs> Let's hope. Hey everybody, this is Steve Seiper, and this week I'm going to officially kick off our podcast 2019 minor league coverage with some list talk. And I'm sure 99.9% of you guys know we started running our prospect list this month. Uh, We could have started sooner. Lucas and Kenny sent me their lists around Thanksgiving, and I think I was done writing up all those player profiles in the middle of December, but I like to kick off the new year with a new prospect list. I've been doing it like that since I started handling all the minor league stuff here at AA, And I don't know, it just feels thematically right. New year, new prospect list. In the past, that never really bit us in the ass, but this year it kind of did. Like I talked about on the podcast last week, Luis Santana and Russ Adolph, they were traded right before their player profiles were published, literally days before. And we all agreed it would just be easier to include them in our 2019 list anyway, since already went to the presses, so to speak. And a lot goes into making those lists. And it's not exactly a simple thing to just kind of take players in, uh, excuse me, take players out or put players in when they come and go. So I want to go over what exactly goes into how we rank, who we rank, and where we rank them. First thing, of course, is that this is all my personal opinion. One thing I like about Amazing Avenue, and I try to get involved as much as, as when I can, is that we're all very transparent. Um... I'll interact with our commenters. Lucas will interact with the commenters. Kenny will interact with you guys. I take pride that at AA, um, we're, we're one of the best, if not the best, sites to go to when it comes to minor league coverage and draft coverage. Uh, part of that is because over the years, we've cultivated a really great minor league following um, in our comment base. Back in the day, Jeff Padanostro, he was a commenter. I think he was... Tuffle Cat, I think was his username, and look at where he is now. Back in the day, I was a commenter, so was Lucas, and even last year, so was Kenny. So our commenters are really knowledgeable, and you know, when openings on the minor league team pop up, we're able to elevate those really smart commenters and bring them aboard. But that's a little tangent, but part of being transparent is that after the list is done and published, we'll post our individual lists and show who ranked who where, And people can ask us questions, why we did this, why we did that, why we ranked so-and-so where we did. And we all have our own methods to rank players. We all have our own biases that we hone in on. We all have our own things that we're more willing to just kind of overlook. And they're all different, so this is just my own methodology. Um, 
So really the biggest thing, the biggest things that I take into account when I rank a player is the position player's tools and the pitcher's stuff. So there's a lot that goes into both of those, so I'll just kind of break it down. For position player, there's five cardinal tools that are pretty much the end-all be-all. There's hitting for average, hitting for power, fielding ability, arm, and speed. And those things are judged for what they are now in the present and then what they could be in the future. So hitting for average, self-explanatory. It's the guy's ability to hit for a high batting average. Uh, a lot of stuff goes into this one. There's hitting mechanics, bat speed, eye, how good the player is at reading the ball out of the pitcher's hand, his tendencies as a, as a hitter. Um, after hitting for, well, not after, but next we have hitting for power. Also, self-explanatory. It's the guy's ability to hit for power. There's raw power, and then there's in-game power. So, based on a player's ability for hit, linking the, these two tools together, sometimes that raw power doesn't really manifest. Think Chris Davis over the last two years. He's averaged like 20 home runs, but he's done that with like a 200 batting average. The years that he was really good, his home run was like double that, and his batting average was like 50 points higher. So, you know, if you're not putting the ball in play, then there's no chance that the ball could be hit for power. So if a player has very high raw power, very good raw power, but very poor ability to hit, there's not, you know, it's not a good combination because you want that guy to be able to hit and you want him to be able to hit for power. Next is fielding ability. Um, And... Fielding ability changes for where the position where the, the position that the player plays. So for an infielder, it's stuff like reaction times, range, smoothness when he makes plays, things like that. For an outfielder, it's ability to read off the read the ball off the bat, his range, routes that he uses to get to the ball, things like that. For a catcher, blocking the plate, picking guys off, throwing guys out, mobility behind the behind the plate and framing kind of working with pitchers kind of they can get lumped in there too they're defensive you know defensive aspects of the position next to arm strength and speed self-explanatory how strong is the arm how accurate is the arm how fast are you on the best base paths how fast are you out of the box so that's all for position players and very minimal for pitchers too for pitchers you're mainly judging them on their stuff now, stuff is a kind of ambiguous concept, but it's basically how good their pitches are. Um, is the fastball really fast? Good stuff. Is the fastball getting plenty of movement? Good stuff. Curveball has knee-buckling drop? Good stuff. Slider has razor-sharp tilt? Good stuff. Splitters falling off the table? Good stuff. Change-up fades off at the last second? Good stuff. And modifying all that is their ability to control and command their pitches. Now, this is They're used interchangeably a lot, but there's a very subtle difference between the two of them. I mean, they're taking, talking basically about the same thing, but there is a difference. Control's ability is a pitcher's ability to basically throw strikes and limit walks. And command is a pitcher's ability to hit his spots. So you could have a pitcher that doesn't really walk a lot of guys. He's throwing stuff in the strike zone, but his command is poor. So he's meaning to throw down and in, and the pitch is up and away. It's still in the strike zone, so he's able to keep his... You know, he's 
has good control, but his command is terrible. And then, of course, there's mechanics. Uh, a lot of that goes into that. I could go into a whole podcast about just mechanics. But just like a hitter's tools, these things are judged for what they are now, and then again, what they could be in the future. So, after looking at you know tools and stuff, um, I'll look at their age, their level. Personally, and this is just me, I never rank players that haven't suited up professionally or only have, you know, Dominican Summer League experience. Unless you're the second coming of Babe Ruth and Barry Bonds and Mike Trout all put together, there's not a single kid that just signed or is in the DSL that has potential that high that it warrants ranking them ahead of players that also have talent and that also have experience playing a professional baseball at a higher level. I used to feel that way about GCL and Kingsport Mets, rookie level um leagues but i've changed my mind a little while back a combination of really the mets just having a much thinner farm system than they did in years past and the fact that baseball scouting and evaluation in general has gotten a lot better and we can get a lot more information on these kids that we weren't able to get even like five years ago or so I mean, I went down to the Appalachian League last year. I'm scheduling a longer trip this year. Um, So, you know, I'm just some schnook. So if I'm able to get, you know, looks, so are professionals, and, you know, that information makes its rounds. The sweet spot, quote-unquote, I would say is high A and and double A. Uh, Pitchers there are able to throw advanced breaking stuff more so than the levels underneath it. And pitchers are able to better locate their spots. Fielders are, you know, the fielders are more advanced and the fields themselves are better. So all those things mean that in order to survive, hitters need to be better. So just everybody, you know, in those levels are starting to play at a more elite level of play. Uh, Age is also a factor in so much as you want a guy to be age appropriate for level two. So someone who's, you know, 26 and they're still playing in low A, they're going to have an advantage because they're older and they're more physically mature, they're more mentally mature, and they probably have some of those veteran tricks up their sleeves. And if they post great numbers, great, but take it with a grain of salt. That doesn't mean that it's always the case. I mean, look at Jeff McNeil last year. But guys like him, you know, they're the exception to the rule. They're not the rule. Catchers also. Uh, catchers, they just develop a lot slower than hitters, as hitters, um, because, you know, there's a lot more that they need to focus on. They need to focus on the catching aspects in addition to all the hitting aspects. So, aside from catchers, you want your prospects to be age appropriate for a league or younger. And after those big things, you kind of start to get into the nitty gritty. You consider a player's body, whether or not he's going to grow and put on good weight, you know, increase muscle strength, increase speed, things like that, or if he's going to grow and put on bad weight, um, detract from his speed, um, make him possibly injury prone. You consider a a, a player's past history in regards to stuff like coaching, teammates, intangibles, and, you know, you put however much stock you want to put into things like that. You consider a guy's bloodlines. I guess that's kind of an intangible, but, you know, it's a, it's its own kind of distinct thing. And, again, you put whatever stock you want into those things. When it comes to stats, 
stats are a very sticky thing. I try to minimize how much stats influence how much I think of a player. Kind of hard because, I mean, who's going to look at a guy who's hitting, you know, 300 and say that that's not influencing them, you know? Um, Stats without context are misleading. I remember just last week when I was talking about J.D. Davis, I looked up how many players hit over 300 in the PCL last year. It was 56. So his 342 batting average in a vacuum looks great. Hey, this guy hit 342. This is like Tony Gwynn. But when you have 56 other guys hitting over 300, including guys like Eric Young Jr., Kevin Kazmarski, Luis Guillorme, Cesar Pueyo, Eric Campbell, Jose Lobaton, these are guys that Mets fans should be familiar with and know that they aren't exactly 300 hitters. And the same thing happens on the pitching side, too. Remember a few years ago when Noah Syndergaard was struggling in Las Vegas because he had a 4.60 ERA and maybe he wasn't ready? And then he made his professional debut the last year, next year, and he was pretty ready. Um, in the minors, guys aren't finished products, so stats are kind of misleading. Um, they're an indicator. Uh, you know, it, it's if if a guy's stats are good, then there's probably something to it. And if a guy's stats are bad, there's probably something to it. But it's easy to miss the subtleties, and those subtleties are what's really important when you're analyzing a minor league player. So I'm sure there's some stuff I forgot. I'm sure there's stuff that could be elaborated on, stuff that could be added to, whatever. Um, Next week, I'm going to have Lucas and Kenny on, and we'll have our top 25 prospects roundtable. And in the discussion, they'll share how they decide these things. And that should give some more insight into, you know, as a general rule, how you judge minor leaguers. So until then, I am Steve Seidman. Well, folks, that does it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for joining us. Please go over to AmazingAvenue.com where you can find much, much more information, analysis, and news on the Mets. You can also find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. Please go to blogtalkradio.com, to Apple Podcasts, to Stitcher, to your podcatcher of choice to download this show. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get the podcast. That helps us out quite a bit. You can email us, aaaudiopodcast at gmail.com. We loved hearing from Ryan and David this week, so please keep those emails coming. And you can follow all of us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane. Steve is at Steve Saipa. Well, we're getting pretty close to spring training, so uh, as we said on the show, expect the Mets to make a move right now because we're finishing the podcast. And uh, whatever that move is, we'll talk about it next time. Next week, we're going to have a special episode featuring the minor league crew from the site talking about the the um, top 25 prospect list and so stay tuned for that and for lots more right here on Amazing Avenue Audio until next time let's go Mets